Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. From the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, overshadow us now as you overshadowed your servant Mary. Plant your word deep in us and bring to life uh, that which you want brought to life. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds would be acceptable in your sight. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I, I love this story of uh, you know Mary and the angel and the impossible birth of Jesus foretold. I, I can't remember not knowing this story. It's like ingrained in me, uh, stamped on my heart. From, the, from those first words in the sixth month, I know exactly what's coming, uh, which is both, I think, lovely and, and kind of dangerous. You know, it's lovely because I, I've been given this gift of knowing the gospel just about forever. These stories of faith that make up the scriptures have always been part of how I understand the world, how I understand myself, how I understand God. E even in those times in my life, when I try to get away from these stories, they seem to stick to me. But being raised in faith has been a treasure. It, when, when I hear these stories I'm uh, that surround Christmas, I'm, I'm taken back to uh, the living room in the manse where we lived when I was a kid and our, our family Advent devotions. Uh, my mom had made this big banner uh, with, with Velcro characters. And every night throughout the season, we'd 
gather and we'd have a reading and a prayer and we'd stick another character up until the whole cast was there. There's angels and wise men and shepherds and stars and sheep and camel and donkeys, the works. Uh, baby Jesus always went up last. The, the first guests on Christmas morning got to put up baby Jesus. Uh, but I, I count myself lucky to have had those memories and to know these stories so well. But there's a danger in the familiarity too, isn't there? Uh, you know, it, it's risky to take this particular story and get very sentimental about it. You know, the things we, we know really well, we, we often stop paying close attention to. We take them for granted. They, they lose the ability to surprise or challenge or change us. They become safe and easy and pleasant and worse, even boring. But, but if we allow that to happen with this particular story, we miss the point and we miss it badly. I want to jump back to the beginning of Luke's gospel for a second before we get into today's reading. Here's the opening verses of Luke's gospel. He says, Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who, from the beginning, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully and for a long time, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you would know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. The word of the Lord. Uh, I, I know it's not the most exciting four verses of scripture, but, but they do tell us a few things about what we're getting into. And the first is that, that this is about something that's been fulfilled, right? This is about something that's completed, something that's been in the works, has come to fruition, and the world is different because of it. And it's a difference that's been, in the words of one of Luke's gospel colleagues, seen and heard and, and touched. We're, we're not talking about abstract truths here. We're, we're talking about God in the dirt, God in the neighborhood. What's been fulfilled is fulfilled among us, Luke says. Present tense, not just then, but now, among us. And the, the second thing that's, that's related is that this involves us. Right, Luke says that he's writing to someone named Theophilus, which rather conveniently means friend or lover of God, so that he, or perhaps anyone who is a friend or lover of God, would know the truth about which he's being instructed. You know, whatever truth is coming, it's for the purposes of instruction, of training, and ultimately of living. Right? Instruction only matters if it's put to use. Right? If it finds shape and forms in our actions, unfortunately, you know, watching a workout video does very little to burn calories or build muscle. Like we actually have to do the work. Luke is setting out to tell us who would be friends of God that, that, that God has done something definitive among us and we're called to get in on it. And, and underlying the, all of this is the fact that the God of the Bible is not known in kind of theory or principle but by what God does. Whatever God fulfills is who God is, right? And who God is means everything for this world. It means everything for us. So Luke's gospel sets out to tell us two things, the kind of God we've got and the life we're called into. This is the God we've got. And because of that, this is the life that we're called to. And the first part determines the second, right? This is the kind of God we've got. And what kind of God do we have? Well, the first two stories set the stage. And Aaron, we heard in our children's time, I, I'm going to branch out a little bit. If you haven't read the first 25 verses of the gospel according to St. Luke, I would encourage you to do that this afternoon. But I think they're going to be familiar. And these two stories really do belong together. And one thing that they tell us 
is that the we've got a God who gets mixed up with old folks and teenagers. You know, what's important to know is that, you know, it, this Jesus isn't the first miraculous birth in the New Testament. John the Baptist is. That's the first story that Luke tells us. And John is born to a couple, the priest Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, who are not supposed to be able to have babies anymore. They were, in the diplomatic words of the gospel, getting on in years. And in fact, they have never been able to have children, even when they were young. But now, now they will be the ones to bring into the world and raise the prophet who will prepare us for God to show up in a new way. We, we have a God who's got a habit of choosing people who may be a bit past the prime of their life to do brand new things. And we have a God who shows up at the other end of life just as unexpectedly. We've got a God who's in the habit of calling kids and teenagers to do essential things. Now, I have a theory that besides the whole virgin birth thing, which is quite a thing, uh, God probably chooses a teenager because anyone older would have tried to explain what a terrible idea this is. How irresponsible, how reckless, how utterly inconvenient. And on the surface of things, that person would be right. This is not a great idea. <laughs> this is going to be a rough road for Mary, almost for sure. Pregnant, unwed teenagers are never the pride of the town, which doesn't seem to bother God at all. Ruffling feathers isn't going to be an issue for this God that we've got. We've got a hot God who is happy to disrupt our social expectations and team up with kids who don't know, don't, aren't old enough to know any better in order to do it. We've got a God who shows up in all the right places to all the right people. Now, the angel Gabriel uh, meets Zechariah, who is righteous in every way, Luke tells us, when he's doing the most sacred work that a priest like him can do. He's in the sanctuary of the Lord when he gets uh, this word about his miraculous son. It is the most likely place that God could show up. God could not be more predictable here. So what is strange is that it's Zechariah who's surprised about it, and he is surprised. And maybe he reminds us that sometimes we can take our holy places and make them places that are actually safe from God's disruptions. Right? Religion can be one of the easiest ways to hold God at arm's length, to keep a lid on holy unpredictability. Praise God, he shows up anyways. We've got a God who shows up to all the right places and all the right people, and we've got a God who shows up to all the wrong places and the wrong people. And Nazareth is a place that most people spit instead of say. It's the kind of place that Everyone knows nothing good comes from, and, and the womb of a local teenager from Nazareth is not at all where we would expect to find God. Now, Mary is a nobody from nowhere. No one ever heard of Mary before, and no one goes to Nazareth if they can help it, except apparently God. Now, we've got a God who's in the habit of choosing the wrong people and the wrong places. And we've got a God on the move. The angel tells Zechariah that filled with God's spirit, John will change hearts and lives, that he will turn folks right round and make a people prepared uh, for the God who's about to lay mountains flat and raise up valleys and do a new thing. God's chosen Elizabeth to bear the one whose life will be like a trumpet blast, letting everyone know that God is coming. And we've got a God who's on the move with a purpose. Gabriel tells Mary that her boy will be the king of a kingdom that's been brewing in the heart of heaven for as long and longer than anyone can remember. God is on the move to establish a new world order where heaven and earth get all mixed up. 
God is on the move to fulfill an ancient promise that the world will be as God made it to be, that the, a world that teems with life, that pulses with love and justice and righteousness. God will get the world God wants and it's going to come through Mary's kid whose kingdom will know no end. And the fact that the kingdom of God will come in a baby through the body of a nobody girl from a nowhere place tells us just about everything we need to know about how this kingdom will be like the ones we're used to, which is to say not much. A new world is on its way and it will be sounded by the cries of this baby. We've got a God who's not afraid to get heaven and earth all mixed up for the sake of something altogether new. Now, one more thing. I mean, I'm sure there's others, but one more thing for this morning. We've got a God who does impossible things. For nothing will be impossible with God, Gabriel tells Mary. I, I think we need to sit in that line, to rest in that fact a little more than we usually do. You know, most people of faith are pleased to allow that God is responsible for all of creation, the, the universe whose size and complexity is well beyond our capacity to fathom, a world whose beauty and wonder boggle the mind, our, our own bodies, which are these ridiculously miraculous things. What's going on inside you right now, just so you can sit and look at a, t a computer screen, is infinitely marvelous. We're happy to allow that God's got to do with all that stuff, but then we get it all tied in knots about the things we think God is not supposed to do. <laughs> now, for some reason, we imagine that the God who made the heavens and the earth isn't allowed to surprise us, isn't supposed to defy our carefully held expectations about how the world is. But, you know, compared to an atom, even a virgin birth isn't that big a deal. We've got a God who's in the habit of doing impossible things. This is how our God is. It's unsettlingly good news. And it's unsettlingly good news because of the second part of all this, which is that it involves us. Right? This is the kind of God we've got, and this is the kind of, God, or kind of life that we who are caught up with this God are called to. It's unsettling because there is no question that the things that are happening, the promises being fulfilled, upset the world as we comfortably know it. You know, whatever more marketable things Christmas may be about, it's infinitely more about the fact that the God of the universe has chosen at great personal risk and cost to get mixed up in this world for the sole purposes of making it different than it already is. It, it is so different that it'll seem brand new. And that newness includes us, however old we are, or however young, whether we are, spend all our time in the right place or in the wrong places, whether we've got everything going for us or nothing going for us, whether we're eager for a new world or we're quite content with the current order of things, our God is on the move and making a claim on our lives along the way. It's unsettling. And I think we need to allow ourselves to be unsettled by it. I think the world needs a church that is unsettled. I, I, need, I need to be unsettled. You need to be unsettled. We need to be unsettled together for the sake of this world that God loves. We need to allow what Luke is telling us, this thing that is being fulfilled, to mess with our expectations, to complicate our convictions, and to draw us into the presence of the one who does impossible things. You know, this year, I feel like I need God's unsettling more than ever. I mean, I need God's comfort too, but I need God's unsettling 
more than ever. I, I want to get right up to the manger and let the wonder of this baby and the echoes of angels and the singing and dancing of shepherds and this impossible family in this improbable place tune my heart again to say with Mary, let it be with me according to your word. Come what may. I, I, I want to trust with everything I've got that the impossible things our God is up to can be done in our lives, in us and with us and through us, that God is not only able, but wants to do something extravagantly beautiful, wondrously new in our lives and in our life together. You know, God is glad to start a holy revolution in us. I think more than I want that more this year than I've ever wanted it before. Cause I think that's what makes us good news. This thing is already fulfilled. Everything's been given. There's nothing more we have to do than learn from Mary to respond in the way that she'll teach her boy to respond. Let it be with me according to your will. Not my will, but yours. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, in our lives, in my life, as it is in heaven. Now let's let Mary remind us that if it costs us everything, that would be a small price to pay. As we look into the manger this year, into the face of God with us, I, I want to know again that that old hymn is right, right? Where the whole realm of nature mind, that would be a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Love so amazing, so divine. You know, the Advent theme for this week is, is love. And at the end, uh, uh, and in the end, that this thing that's being fulfilled, this thing that tells us what kind of God we've got and what it means for us, it's a love story. It's a weird love story, but it's a love story. It's the, the, the promise that the one who made and sustains this world loves us, loves us more than we could have possibly hoped. Loves us if we're the right people or the wrong people in the right places or the wrong ones, whether we've got everything or nothing. The love that made all things loves us, loves you, loves me, with a love that will cross heaven and earth just to be with us in ways that we could not have imagined, except that we've seen it. It's been fulfilled. And so to God, who by the love working in us, the same love that overshadowed Mary and birthed heaven into earth, is able to do impossible things abundantly far more than all we would ask or imagine. To God be the glory in heaven and earth, in the Christ child, in our lives, now and forever. Amen. Amen.